Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. In the Old Testament, there was a people group called the Ammonites who had an unfortunate beginning. While they acknowledged there was a God, their pride and sinfulness prevented them from acknowledging the God. So how did God respond to the Ammonites? Well, let's find out as we join Dr. Corbett in Jeremiah 49 to run to and fro among the hedges. And here he is talking to the Ammonites. And this, this is taken from one of the verses in this passage. If you want to turn to Jeremiah chapter 49, we're going to be looking at the first seven verses of Jeremiah chapter 49. And this is run to and fro among the hedges. Hedges, of course, were meant to be a boundary, a place of safety, a place of security. And, and here the Ammonites who took pride in their, again, in their status as a, an uninvaded country, a country that have, had uh, been able to uh, govern itself for so long without foreign invaders. And here they are mocking what had happened in Israel, mocking what had happened in Judah. And so this is God's word to the people of Ammon. Chances are Jeremiah actually received this word many, perhaps decades before. It's actually recorded here, which is interesting in itself that he would have a word and hold on to it for this period of time, or perhaps it's, it's put here intentionally in this part of the book. And so... Who are they? Well, the Ammonites, well, I just want to have a look at where these guys came from because similar to Moab, these guys had a very unfortunate beginning. And their unfortunate beginning was from the same father as Moab. You remember we looked at Moab and Moab was the result of Lot. You remember uh, Lot's wife looked back on Sodom and Gomorrah and was turned to a pillar of salt. And Lot and his two daughters fled to the mountains. And we'll pick up the story. This is taken from Genesis 19, verse 35. And this comes on the heels of the older sister saying to her younger sister, Hey, have you noticed? We're in a cave. We're in a cave. Uh, There's no men around. Uh, We want to be mothers. And the only guy around is our dad. Uh, The only way I can see that we can possibly become mothers as if it's from our dad. Now, I don't know what the cultural acceptability of that was in their thinking, but they had just come from Sodom and Gomorrah. So maybe their thinking was really whacked. But whatever it was, they felt that they had to get their dad drunk. And so we read this after uh, the older sister has conceived to her father and eventually bore Moab. It says this, So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when, uh, when she lay down or, uh, or when she arose. So he was completely oblivious to what had happened. It goes down to verse 38 of Genesis 19, and it says this, The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami, which is Hebrew. It means son of my people. Uh, ben means son, by the way. So if you see Ben-Jamin, it's son of... You know, the Jamin is, I think, joy or something like that. He's the father of the Ammonites to this day. So Ammon and Moab started off their journey with quite unfortunate circumstances. Uh, incest is not the best way to come into this world, not an ideal way. But this is how they, they come into the world. And for some reason, as we saw with Moab, 
God took tremendous kindness, showed tremendous kindness to these two boys and to their descendants. And so, like his older brother, Ammon was shown favour by God. And I'll give you an example of that. I realised in talking about Moab, I didn't actually cite an example. But this is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 19. So Israel's come out of Egypt. And this is what he tells them. He says, When you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I've given it to the sons of Lot. For a possession. So God gave Ammon their land and he told Israel, you can't go into it, you, you, can't, it's never, it's, you can't take it from them, it's, and you've got to respect that. So God had shown tremendous favour. And as we saw with Moab, rather than honouring God, they actually dishonoured God. And while we see that Moab had, had Chemosh, we're going to see that Ammon uh, had their god called Milcom, uh, which we'll see in this text in a moment. So Ammon particularly mocked Israel. And the, the story of Israel is, is, is fairly sad, I reckon, because you've got the, the, the 12 tribes coming out of Egypt, settling into the land that, that was theirs, the promised land, and then eventually when they got a king, King Saul, he, was, he, he ended up being you know, a bit sad. And then King David took over and David made a few mistakes. But still the nation was, was making progress. And then his son Solomon started off great and ended up really bad. Um, he ended up having something like 800 wives, uh, which it says in Deuteronomy 17, any king of Israel... And by the way, kings are meant to model for the whole nation the kind of life God wants someone to live. And so the king took many wives. When Deuteronomy 17 says, any king of my people shall only take one wife. And, and, I, and from personal experience, I know one's enough. <laughs> One is definitely enough. And so he had over 800 of them and... and really became, despite the fact that he was the wisest man, he actually did a lot of foolish, really, really foolish things. And the result was that when his son Rehoboam uh, succeeded him, the people of Israel all came to Rehoboam and said, listen, your dad, he, he imposed an unreasonable tax burden on us. We want some relief. You don't need the amount of money that we're giving you. You don't need it. And it's a real heavy burden on us. And so Rehoboam said to the people, get lost, I'm going to increase your taxes, after he took advice from his younger advisors. And this then led to the 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel saying to Rehoboam, the descendant of Solomon, descendant of David, we want nothing to do with you. We're going to form our own nation. And we're going to call ourselves Israel. And so they had no temple, no priesthood, and eventually Israel began to worship idols. They, and God said, if you do that, I'll, I'll remove you from the land. They did, and he did. They were removed from the land. The Assyrians uh, came in and took them away, which is kind of the modern territory of Iran. And so as that was happening, the Ammonites, seeing Israel... Worshipping other gods. And when you, when, when you don't get who God is, you do some really whacked stuff. Uh, 
you begin to justify some really crazy stuff. And so here's the people of Israel thinking that God was a cow. I mean, literally, they made a cow made of gold. In fact, they made two of them, two golden calves. And they would commit all kinds of sexual immorality with prostitutes in front of these calves in the idea that this was an act of fertility and if we did this, it will, it will bring fertility to our crops and our nation. And it was utterly disgraceful because prostitution always, 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 always hurts women. Always hurts women. Followed closely, second, closely, always, 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 always hurts children. So this is never the heart of God. And so God said that if you do this, and, and God said, this is defiling my name. You're telling people this is what I accept and I don't. This is why when, when God gave the Ten Commandments, you shall have, uh, let's say, you, you shall not lie. We bear his image. And when we lie, we are saying to all the world, God, whose image we bear, is just like the way we're behaving now. He, he lies, he steals, he cheats, he can't be trusted. That's what God's like. And you can see why God would be pretty ticked with that misrepresentation. And he was. And he said to Israel, you can't stay in the land. So, so they've long gone, but Ammon mocked them. And, and Israel, Ammon may have had the gun, but Israel gave them the bullets. And so we've got this situation where now Judah, the two southern tribes uh, who... We've been looking at, Jeremiah's been looking at, so the, the ten tribes to the north, they've already gone. And by the way, they never return. They're gone forever. They're called the lost tribes of Israel. And so here we have the two southern tribes known as Judah, and they've done exactly the same thing. They've been literally offering human sacrifices of children and it's, it's just been disgraceful. And Ammon has mocked them and scorned them and said, your God is a cruel, vindictive, pathetic God. <sighs> you, could, you get the feeling of how God must have felt about what Judah was doing now to misrepresent him. Ezekiel, who lived around the same time, was born just a little bit after Jeremiah and he would have heard Jeremiah prophesying on the streets. And Ezekiel was one of the first people in that first batch to go to Babylon before Babylon came back in and just took the rest of them. But Ezekiel's taken over fairly early to Babylon and while he's there, he prophesies something probably almost nearly around about the same time as Jeremiah. And this is what he says in Ezekiel 25, which is pretty amazing. These guys separated by you know, nearly the best part of a thousand kilometres and they're saying exactly the same thing within a short period of time of each other. It's pretty amazing. This is what he said, say to the Ammonites, this is God speaking to Ezekiel. Hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, Aha! Over my sanctuary when it was profaned, and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate, and over the house of Judah when they went into exile, therefore behold, I'm handing you over to the people of the east. Who are the people of the east? Babylon as a possession, and they shall sit their encampments among you and make their dwellings in your midst. They shall eat your fruit and they shall drink your milk. And those two expressions are an expression of peace and prosperity. You know, when it talks about Israel being a land of, 
um, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a, it's a poetic expression to say, this is a really great place to live. This is a really prosperous place. And to say, they're going to come in, they're going to eat your fruit, and they're going to drink your milk. It's like, I don't think the Babylonians would have trekked 2,000 miles by foot just to have a glass of milk. Trust me, I don't think that's what this is about. But this is a statement to say this is the utter humiliation you're going to experience. So this is what Ezekiel's saying. It goes on in Ezekiel 25, verse 6. Thus says the Lord God, because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all the malice within your soul against the land of Israel. Therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you and will hand you over as plunder to the nations. And I will cut you off from the peoples and I will make you perish out of the countries. I will destroy you. And then notice this. This is remarkable. And if you've ever read through Ezekiel, you'll notice he says this over and over and over and over again. Then, it says, you will know that I am the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. And so here's what Ezekiel is saying, which mirrors almost perfectly what Jeremiah is about to say as well. And it's being said at about the same time because there's references to the city of Jerusalem being destroyed, the temple being destroyed and so on, which is around the time frame Jeremiah is giving his word. Pretty amazing, really. But notice God's heart toward Ammon. It wasn't to punish them just because he's that kind of God. That's never God's deal. God never just punishes because he's just vindictive like that. That's never his heart. That, that last expression in that, in that Ezekiel passage, I do this so that you'll know that I'm the Lord. It's quite remarkable the level of care God will go to at the risk of tremendous misunderstanding. I heard someone describe sometimes parents have got to be cruel too. It, well, it looks like parents have got to be cruel. What would you like for dinner tonight? Oh, a couple of Mars bars and a packet of twisties? Well, you're not going to have that. You're going to have a bit of meat and you're going to have carrots and Russell sprouts and, and stuff like that. And it's like, you're the cruelest parent in the world. Yeah, I know. Eat your Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and it's done for their good. And, and parents will, will, just by the nature of parenting, have to go through that kind of misunderstanding. It looks like we're being cruel when, in fact, we actually love and we care and we know what's in the best interests of our child. So here's, here's the thing. Is we, if, you, if you're looking in this uh, Jeremiah passage, you'll notice, um, and I'll, I'll probably, I'll, I will, I'll bring this up in a moment, but it wasn't that Ammon wasn't religious. They were religious. They actually acknowledged there is a spiritual realm there. They acknowledged this. They called God Milcom. This is an interesting point too, because although they acknowledged that there was a God, they didn't acknowledge the God. And, and this is a really, I think, profound point for people who say it doesn't matter what religion you are as long as you're religious. God doesn't see it that way. God doesn't see it that way at all. He doesn't want people to worship another God and, and then try and pretend they're actually worshipping me, they're worshipping me, they're worshipping when in fact they're not worshipping him. He, he doesn't play that game. 
And we read in Jeremiah 49 verse 1, concerning the Ammonites, Thus says the Lord, Has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then has Milcom, this is the god of the Ammonites, dispossessed Gad? So remember, God told Israel, don't go in and take any Ammonite land. But he also must have said the same thing to the Ammonites. This is the land right here. That's what I'm giving you. And when, when the Assyrians came in and took Israel away, the Ammonites came in and started taking territory from Israel. And God's really ticked with this. Why then is Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, dispossessed Gad? And why has his people settled in its cities? See, as they mocked God, the, the, the intention was that Israel was never supposed to give them any reason to mock God. You know, it says in 1 Peter, live the kind of life that can be lived so that if someone wants to bring an accusation against you because of your faith in Christ, they've got no basis to do it. You see, we read about this time, Daniel's also in Babylon, and accusations were made against Daniel. And when those accusations were made that he was you know, undermining the king and he was against the empire, the, the emperor who knew Daniel knew that wasn't true. And we're meant to live the kind of lives that Daniel lived. We're meant to live the kind of life where if we make a mistake, we apologise to someone. We're meant to live the kind of life where in six months Time, or should I say, from six months ago, the person you are today is not the person you were six months ago. We're meant to be changing. We're meant to be growing. We're meant to be learning the things that make us reflect the heart of God, like patience, like the ability to forgive, like the ability to show kindness. So, We're meant to change. We're meant to grow. We're not meant to give our enemies any reason to suspect that God isn't changing us and making us into the people that he wants to be. And this is what Israel was supposed to do. They were supposed to show the world this is what it's like to live a life where you are are living with a vision of God on the throne. Pure holiness. Pure love. Pure kindness, pure goodness. And we live our lives worshipping this God. And what you worship determines who you are becoming. I just went to Adelaide for the weekend. It was only sort of three days out that I realised the Geelong Cats were playing in Adelaide that same Friday. I was going to be there. So for safety's sake, I took my Geelong Football Club membership tag off my luggage. Because... I wanted to get in and get out alive and I realised that that just for my own safety it's probably not worth the argument just coming in as a Geelong supporter. Uh, Please don't tell anyone uh, Geelong that I did that. But we we are meant to represent God and we're meant to show the world what it's like. But here's the point. There are people who... I saw in the airport and they had 
They had um, Port Adelaide scarves on. They had Port Adelaide beanies on. They were wearing Port Adelaide football jumpers. I mean, for Pete's sake. They worshipped Port Adelaide. I mean, I'm a fan of Geelong, but I know when to be savvy. I just, you don't. You know, so there are times when, when what you worship determines what people or how people see you. And if we worship a God who is ultimately good, ultimately kind, ultimately this loving God, it determines who we're becoming. So here's this problem. Paul says in Romans, for it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So, you know, here's my prayer, that, that as, we, as we see people come in, they come to know Christ and they begin to realise Hey, wait a minute. I don't have to be this cranky, cantankerous person. All the baggage I brought into my Christianity, all the hurt, all the unforgiveness, all the bitterness. I can, as I worship Jesus, I realize the more you worship God and the more you walk with God and the more you open your heart to God, the sweeter you'll become. And you begin to become transformed. And the world sees it. They see They'll say, hey, <laughs> I don't know what's going on in your life, but something's happening, isn't it? You're a different person. What a compliment. <laughs> May we all hear that compliment. And Paul says, let's not give the world reason to blaspheme God. And God expects people to give the world reasons to admire him. And may we do that. May we do it. And here's... Here's what we, we see in this passage is it describes Ammon as becoming boastful and proud. And it, it, it says in verse 2 of Jeremiah 49, Therefore the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will cause the battle cry to be heard against Rabbah, one of the cities of the Ammonites. It shall become a desolate mound, and its villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him, says the Lord. Wail, in verse 3, O Heshbon, for Ai is laid waste. Cry out, O daughters of Rabbah. Put on sackcloth and lament. And here it is, run to and fro among the hedges. For Milcom shall go into, bat, uh, into exile with his priests and officials. Verse 4, why do you boast of your valleys, O faith? daughter who trusted in her treasures saying who will come against me <laughs> this is the arrogance of Ammon and this is what we see in scripture God always 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 humbles the proud he will either do it in this life or he will do it in the next the choice is yours this life or the next the Bible says every knee will bow to an expression of humility every tongue will confess we either do it in this life or we do it in the next. Isn't it easy to be proud? Does anyone have a problem finding new ways to be proud? Man, the more you're on this journey committed to becoming Christ-like, the more you're aware, oh, what did I say that for? What an arrogant thing to say. What a proud thing to say. Jesus, I've let you down again. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. God always has a way of humbling those who are arrogant. And this is what I've determined about pride. And as we read through 
this passage where it talks about how God would humble Ammon. And then, then we, we come to, we'll come to the, the verse 7 in a moment, but this is, this is a statement worth just pondering. Pride is always just fancy clothes that injuring sin wears to deceive its victim. You know, when you see... When you see someone dressed really, really smartly and they look elegant and then you listen to the way they talk and the way they talk does not match the decorum of their clothes. It's like, wow, this, this is, that's deceptive. <laughs> and here sin always dresses itself elegantly, always dresses beautifully, always dresses itself. That's what Satan did to Eve, wasn't it? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he, he made a really attractive offer. Hey, you can eat this fruit. It'll be beautiful. The moment you eat of this fruit, you'll become just like God. Don't you want to be like God? The weird thing was she was already created in the image of God. He was offering her nothing <laughs> except pain and an ache. And that's what pride does. Someone has said, no one has ever choked whenever they've swallowed their pride. And swallowing your pride, admitting to your husband, wives, listen, I was wrong when I did that or wrong when I said that. That takes humility. And a wise husband realises the rarity of those moments and doesn't say, hang on a minute, I'm just going to get the video camera. We'll just do this again. We'll just run through this again. But but is gracious in, in, in that moment and sensitive in that moment. But can I just flip the equation now? There are some husbands that need to say to their wives, I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I did. And the only reason they may not be prepared to do that is because of pride. And then ultimately, there is a God in heaven to whom we must say the same thing. God... I'm sorry for what I've done and I'm sorry for what I've said. It's hurt you and it's broken your heart. Will you please forgive me? And God is the ultimately humble one. Ultimately humble. And here's Ammon. It's a beautiful land. It's a beautiful set of cities. It's got these hedges that are protective and it's beautiful. And here the prophet says, run to and fro throughout all the hedges and say, the game's up, Ammon. You're doomed. Sounds crazy. But eventually Babylon did come in and did exactly as the prophet said. And here's, so the injury of sin was felt by Ammon. And here's the deal. Ammon, like many today, were injured by sin's wicked schemes, resulting in an ache. And this is what I've discovered. When I see someone who's really angry or easily offended, and golly, Aren't we in a society today where people are offended at the drop of a hat? I'm offended by that. When I hear that, I go, oh, hello, we've got a hurt person. We've got a damaged person. We've got someone who's got a lot of pride, and that pride is masking the deep ache that they feel. And that's what pride does. It masks a deep ache 
Because sin always hurts people. It always hurts people. It always injures people. And here's what I, what I want us to see in this passage is Jeremiah is speaking to Ammon. Firstly, God cares about the nations. It, it, it's wrong to think that God only cares about Israel. He cares about all people. He did under the old covenant and he definitely does under the new covenant. He cares about you no matter what your skin colour, no matter what your language, no matter who your parents were, if you know them or if you don't. He loves you. He cares for you deeply. And here his heart for Ammon, we read in this closing verse, he says this in verse 7, But afterward I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites declares the Lord. And as several commentators have said, on the day of Pentecost, you can look at the nations that were in Jerusalem at that time and they can track them to being descendants of the Ammonites who were there in Jerusalem worshipping the God of Israel who heard Peter stand on the day of Pentecost and declare that Jesus Christ is the healer of your heart's ache, the healer of your soul's ache. He's the one. He's the one who can make you Whole. And here's my question for us today. Will you open your heart? Will you open your heart to God and allow him to heal your soul? If you don't allow God to heal the ache in your soul, you take that ache with you from this life into eternity and have to endure it for eternity. God had a word for the people of Ammon and God has a word for us today. He still seeks for us to open our hearts to him to begin a process of healing. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Run To and Fro Among the Hedges. They're available from the website, findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media. PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.